I don't know if you heard the story about Eugene Peterson's last two words on this earth. If you don't know Eugene Peterson, um, many of you have sure have been influenced by him. He was 85 when he died. He was a pastor for many years, author of 30 books, uh, most famously paraphrased this whole 66 books of the Bible into what's called the message. If you haven't read that before or don't have a copy, I encourage you to get one, particularly if you read the Bible and it's confusing for you or maybe your kids. It's a great paraphrase of Scripture. And his families tell the story when he was in the hospital taking his last breath, knowing that he was going to die. He looked into the eyes of his family and said two words, let's go, closed his eyes, and he was in the presence of Jesus. Let's go. And I think that's a great story for us on a mission emphasis because, you know, God has been saying that to us as his people since the beginning. He's been saying, let's go. I am reconciling. I am moving, like Jesus said, like the wind. The Spirit moves like the wind. We don't know where it's coming from. We don't know where it's going. So it's some, all of us who are born of the Spirit. And, and, and this morning, I hope you've been inspired by these stories, not just to hear them, so that's great, but to be really, really ready this morning to say yes to Jesus, to say, I am ready to go. So I want to guide you in a brief prayer before we get into the message, because I hope you're ready to go with me, because I believe God has given me a word for you, not my word, not my ideas, but from the holy word of God to you this morning. So I want you to pray with me, just a quick prayer, and I want to ask you to open your hands and put them on your lap if you could. Open your palms and put them on your lap and close your eyes. And I encourage you to pray this to Jesus. Maybe you want to pray it out loud. Jesus, my hands are open. Open my ears to hear your spirit. Open my mind to hear your word. Open up my heart to receive you. Open up conversations this week. Open up relationships. Open up my home that I may be used like I've never been used before. In Christ's name, amen. John chapter 20, verse 19 is the foundation, the text, the springboard of where we're going to be this, uh, this morning. And so I hope you're ready to go. I have a lot for you, but I believe you can handle it, knowing in hearing your pastor preach and uh, knowing how uh, he delivers uh, the word of God to you. So there's a lot here. Even the, the points I have, we could probably spend four, uh, you know, four weeks in, in them, but this is a, 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 a condensed uh, overview of what God has put on my heart. A familiar story in, in the, uh, John chapter 20, verse 19. I'm going to read it for you. I think it's on your screen. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father is sending me, so I am sending you. Psychology Today did an interesting article uh, years ago listing 800 phobias in the human condition. You, you've heard them. There's movies named after them. We all know our, what we're afraid of. Uh, the most common of, uh, among people is acrophobia, the fear of heights. Autophobia is the fear of being alone. 
Here is this emotion that these disciples, these, these, these young people really, were locked into the room and experiencing this emotion that first appears in Scripture. In the, it's the first emotion actually recorded in the Scripture. If you ever think about it, in Genesis 3, you remember the story when Adam and, and sinned, and God asked him the question, and he hid, and God said, where are you, Adam? God didn't ask Adam that question because he didn't know the answer. He asked that question so Adam would realize his condition, and Adam said, I was afraid so I hid. I think there's probably two sides of the coin there on Adam, probably uh, a fear and shame. But we see this in the context of the story here. These, these young guys, probably in their early 20s, if you think about it, some of them could even be in their late teens. They had given three years following Jesus, we know, and he, Jesus had died, and they were afraid that what was going to happen to them, well, the same thing was going to happen to them that happened to Jesus, um, I don't know where you are this morning, but um, we have literally been in the room we, uh, in this pandemic, locked up in this season of life like no other season in our life. But metaphorically, a lot of us are in this room, perhaps locked in a room with fear. Maybe even you've come this morning with guilt and shame and thinking about something you did in the last 24, 48 hours or last week that you really regret and that you really are sorry for. I'm glad that we have a God who's not like we are with our, remember our little kids were young and, we, and, the kid, and our kids just ask us over and over and, you know, and, uh, can I have this, can I have this, can I have this? And you get a little bit impatient and irritated. I'm glad that we have a God who never uh, it gets tired and exhausted when we come to him. He always welcomes for us to come to him. And Jesus responds to these disciples. And he responds to the disciples in four ways. And I believe this is good news for us because I don't know where you are when you hear these stories. Uh, uh, I've always thought that for a lot of us who uh, like, you know, if you think about what it means to be used by God and say, yeah, I, I hear these stories of people who are getting involved, uh, but uh, I just don't know if I could do anything well, guess what? Uh, you're, you're not the first. Uh, you, some, some of us are like Isaiah, I think. A lot of times, like Isaiah, uh, I, I kind of say there's two extremes of uh, when we, we want to be used by God. One extreme is like Isaiah, where he was kind of like, pick me, God, pick me, pick me. Kind of like the, remember on a pickup court on basketball, you know, when, when you were young, you, you asked the captain to pick you. That's kind of like Isaiah was. Uh, some of us may be like that. But, but a lot of times, most of us are like uh, uh, Moses, when God said to Moses, let's go, I, I have a purpose for you to lead my people. And Moses, remember his response. His response was, I really can't. I can't talk. Uh, some say it's probably maybe a stuttering problem or something, but he, he didn't feel he, he could do it. Or remember when God said to Jeremiah, the prophet, he said, hey, I want to use you to, to, to be a blessing to the nations. You remember what Jeremiah said? Jeremiah said, uh, no, I can't. I, I'm, I'm too young. Uh, some of you may, may feel that way, but Jesus' response to the disciples in the story is the, what Jesus is responding to you this morning. And I think Jesus is responding every day. He does four things. It's real simple. You've probably seen it before, but Jesus is present with the disciples. Then he does what? He speaks to them, not once, but twice, and he says, shalom, twice, peace be with you. Then he reveals himself. Then lastly, he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. I believe that those are uh, a, a connectedness 
a unit. We oftentimes put those in separate buckets, separate categories, but I think Jesus so masterfully and beautifully uh, puts those together. I'm sure we all have uh, celebrity stories, and uh, we've, we've been places where we've traveled or maybe in the city or we've been somewhere, and we've seen um, a celebrity. I don't know what it is about when you see a celebrity, but there's, there's, an, there's kind of an awakening that happens within us, an aliveness, an attentiveness. You notice that? I, lived, I did my graduate work in Los Angeles at Fuller Seminary, and when you live in L.A., if you've been in L.A., some of you may have, you have these occasions quite often. In fact, I had a friend who would always we'd be at a restaurant one time, and he would pick out, and he said, hey, that's the guy sitting over there who was the sniper in uh, you know, such and such movie, you know, that one scene, he would always recognize these guys. So I was driving on the intersection in, uh, in Hollywood, drove up to a stoplight, looked over, and I said, that guy looks like Danny Glover. And, uh, you know, you kind of think, and he looked over t- to, to me, and I was looking at him, I just kind of nodded like that, he nodded at me, and it was Danny Glover. And I'm here telling you the story today, or another occasion when I was in the bathroom and Smokey Robinson came walking in, uh, literally the real Smokey Robinson, um, and others I could tell you about, but you know what I'm talking about. But the, the point is this, what does it mean for us as the people of God every day when we are, when Jesus presents himself, he's present with us, he speaks to us, he, he, he says, I'm sending you as I was sent. We are in the presence of the one who is the image of the invisible God. We don't experience him in person, we don't experience him like these uh, disciples did when in person, but we do by the Holy Spirit. His presence is with us, and so that same alertness, that attentiveness, should be uh, something that stirs us. If I were to kind of tag a, a title to the text today, it would be this. It's, it's probably written up there. But what I want to talk to you about is that uh, is is embracing our sentness. Four postures to live by. Four postures to live by. The main theme is, is this, as we embrace our sentness, we discover the presence and the voice of Jesus, revealing himself, leading us to overcome our fears, our doubts, and encounter the power of his spirit. You see, we have to understand that mission comes from that Latin word missio, which means to be sent. And mission doesn't begin with us. It doesn't begin with us as people, but mission begins with God. God is ascending God. You know that he sent Jesus. Jesus sent the Spirit, Father, Son, Spirit, sent us as his people. That's who we are as the church. Emil Bruner said this. He says that the church exists for mission as fire exists for burning. That's the, that's the purpose of us as the church. We don't go to church. We don't build the church. We don't uh, uh, look at the church. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the hands of Christ. We are the feet of Christ to go into those places of the world. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. You know, the, the realization of me understanding what it means to embrace my sentence has been a lot of experiencing and encountering the, the global church. The, our brothers and sisters around the world. That's why we need community uh, locally and historically and globally. And, and uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one of those global uh, uh, brothers in Christ. Many of you know his writings. Uh, in, and he, he said that the church is the church when it exists for others. The church is the church when it exists for others. 
I, I, I may have this most realized uh, aha moment, you know, what C.S. Lewis talks about that truth is not, uh, we don't create truth, we discover truth, right? So that discovery moment for me has been in the, among the poor and among the, the, the villages and the, and, and the Mother Teresas of the world and, the, and all of the different experiences, uh, but, but one of those was in the refugee camp in Africa. Uh, many years ago, I was in a Sudan refugee camp in Uganda and uh, walked into a church and was asked, some of you have been in those contexts, and you kind of show up, and they want you to preach, and, and the services go on, and go on, and go on, and go on, and, and I remember it was a beautiful time, and the offering came, and I remember a few coins were dropped on the table, uh, a dead chicken was brought on the table, uh, a bag of uh, corn was brought on the table as their offering, and I was just so fascinating and so humbled by it. I remember asking the pastor, I said, what, what is the, what is the, uh, probably the, 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 what was given that Sunday? And I remember he told me it was just, you know, 30, 40 shillings, which was probably not even 10 cents that Sunday. Here these refugees were uneducated, uh, many of them illiterate, no disposable income, probably would never leave a, 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 a couple, uh, you know, 20, 30 mile radius of where they lived. That next day, we went back to the uh, church, and the building was burned down. It had been burned down. I don't know the logistics of what happened, but someone wasn't happy and, and, and burned it to the ground. And I'll never forget, as we were sitting around talking, I remember seeing a sign on the tree, and I got curious, and I went over there, and I saw the sign on the tree. The, it was on the tree, and it said, Ajumini Church, the Center for World Evangelization and Global Impact. The Center for World Evangelization and Global Impact. And there I remember sitting on, on the ashes of that tree talking to these brothers and sisters in the Lord and, and, and telling me, and they looked at me and they, and they said, we're gonna pray. and they were telling me the whole time, we're going to pray for you in America. We're praying for you in the church in America that you would have hope because we in Africa, we don't care if our buildings are burned down. We don't care if they kill us. We're going to be sent. We're going to share the gospel with our own people. And I'll never forget a line he told me. He said, you know, 40 days a man can live without food. This Africa guy told me this. He said, as we were talking, he said, a four days someone can live uh, without water. Four minutes someone can live without uh, uh, air. But he said, no one can live four seconds without hope. And, I, and he said, I'm praying for you in the church in America that you will have the hope of the gospel, that you have the hope that you as the church have great influence and great impact if you, if you know that the church exists not for yourselves, but for the, for the sake of the others and for the sake of the nations. So the first, let me walk through these real quick here, the, the remaining time that I have. Um, we are sent with compassion for all people. That's the first thing I want to say, the first takeaway, the first posture. Really, we could say these four postures are prayers, really. You can pray these for your spouse, for yourself, for your kids. What does it look like that we have compassion for all people. We all need compassion to be birthed in us, and we need compassion to be grown in us. It's easy in a society, uh, as North Americans, no matter if you're in a suburb, in the urban area, in the rural, and wherever, to, to go cynical, uh, to grow uh, skeptical. And, and that, that bleeds into the church, and you hear it all the time. It comes in your mind all the time. Psychologist says there's, we have anywhere from 10 to 15,000 thoughts a day. 80% of those are negative. And, and so we have this hardwire thing in our own talking. We talk to ourselves the most every day. What does it mean that we have uh, compassion birthed in us and, and, and grow in us? Uh, we, get this, uh, we, we get the lesson here from the life of Jesus, a story that's familiar to you, all told in the synoptics. And I'm going to read gospel, uh, uh, Mark's gospel version of it uh, to you. Uh, Jesus has this encounter with a man with leprosy, uh, Mark 1.40, if you want to write it down and read it later. It says, a man with leprosy came to him 
and begged him on his knees. Luke's, I think, account said that the man fell uh, face down before Jesus. He probably did both. And he begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourselves to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded you for the cleansing as a testimony to them. I had one occasion one time, whenever you talk to someone who's from a non-Christian religion, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, it's, I've always found it interesting and, and helpful for me to start with topics, top, and, and this is a great topic to start with, compassion. What gives you compassion? How do you grow in compassion? And I had this opportunity, I ran, uh, uh, to have this conversation with Richard Gere in a New Delhi airport, I kid you not, and recognized him, and the ministry that I was with, I had a partner who, had, who, was, uh, who threw on the, uh, the first beauty pageant for the Tibetan people in Dalamsala, where the Dalai Lama lives, and and I was telling, I, I figured, okay, if I kind of talk about Tibetanism and Buddhism, because he's a devout Buddhist, uh, you know, we can have a conversation, and, and I don't know if he would just kind of shun me off or whatever, and he was real intrigued by it, and I told him the story and how Prince Charles had flown from England to India, and we started talking, and, and, and I started talking about how he, uh, you know, when's the last time he saw the Dalai Lama, and what have you learned from him, and, 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 I, and then we started talking about compassion, and actually I told him this story of this experience with uh, the leper, and it opened up a great conversation conversation uh, in that moment. I want to say a few things about uh, leprosy, what, this, what the significance is. The significance is this. A leper was a marginalized person. Jesus always had this bent. He always had this, this, this mag, magnet uh, movement of, of going to the marginalized, going to the least of these, the last and the lost that were around him. And we see this in the leper. He responded with compassion. I first saw someone with uh, leprosy still exists in the world. Uh, I first saw someone with leprosy when I was about 20 years old. I want to say a quick word to those of you that are in middle school. You're in high school. You're in college. Ask your mom and dad to set you up a bank account and go out and work and put 25, 50 bucks a month in there. In four or five years, you'll have enough money in a savings account to buy an airplane when you're in college, get connected with a mission organization, and go experience Jesus in the nations, among the poor, uh, among uh, places of the world. It will radically change your life. I did this a lot while I was in college, even before college. And one of those occasions when I was about 20 years old, I was taken, I uh, landed in Calcutta, we rode a train, and then met, uh, uh, we were taken, met a pastor who took us to a leper home. I was digging out a picture, I think it's here, and was taken to this leper home where I saw these outcasts, these people in the margins, and they asked me to speak to them. I don't remember what I said, I remember reading some scripture, talking of Jesus, but I never forget that moment. And I remember going back into the community and seeing uh, the Hindu people would come and talk to me and they would say this, why did you go see them? Even the Hindus viewed them as, as outcasts and said, the, the, the cows are more valuable than they. So leprosy, the, the image here is so powerful for, powerful for us that, that we have to say, what is compassion in the way of Jesus? How do we have this compassion? If we live, not, we work nine to five. Some of you, you can't go on places in the world. You work nine to five, you're raising family, you're having sporting events. And, 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 but let me just give you some highlights from this story. There's, there's a few takeaways. I'm gonna move this pretty quick. I think you'll follow along with me. Compassion begins as we see what's around us. This is what Jesus did. Compassion begins as you see what's around you. 
A few years ago, my wife and I were desiring to do, do that, and we realized that there are 90,000 immigrants and refugees in Marion County. Around the Metroplex, the number goes to about 130,000 when you include all the surrounding cities. We begin to begin to uh, being approached, saying, can you help Abdul here in this apartment from Afghanistan? Can you help Mohammed from Iraq in this apartment? And we would go into these apartments and, and, and see people that were like, uh, from all the nations of the world in our city, and they were sleeping on the floor. They had no furniture. Uh, they had no beds. They had no, nothing. And so we began to make calls and say, hey, how can we help you? We began to see what was around us. Within a one-mile radius of where our ministry center is, it's basically close to high school on 38th, we had uh, some grad students from IUPUI doing social work who did a 30-page demographic report for us as a gift. It was a real blessing. And through that report, we learned that that 75% of those from K to 12 are below poverty. 20% of that population within a mile radius of, of where our ministry center is on the western side of the city of Marion County, 20% are without a high school education. And you know research says that if you don't get your high school education, 80% chance that you'll end up incarcerated. Average income, $20,863, 30% below the, the state average. Next, compassion grows as you listen to what others are saying. This is what happened. Jesus saw the man, and then he heard him say that. That's how compassion grows in us. We, we listen to what others are saying. Some of you know we've been up in the community doing mulching uh, with our business, and taking, we've taken about 30, 30, 30 so young people uh, across the city. And just the other day, we were, in the, we were in, your neighbor, in the neighborhood here in Whitestown, and you talk about a moment of just an immense uh, breaking of my heart. This young, this young 14-year-old refugee uh, family's a Sudan for the conflict, but he was born and raised in Egypt. And he looked to me and with all sincerity, was not joking, was not smiling. He said to me, he said, would you adopt me as your son? Would you adopt me as your son? And I said, what? And he said, would you adopt me as your son? What, what, there's a lot behind that statement. I don't know the dynamics of that, but how are we being sent hearing what is around us? Next, thirdly, compassion involves feeling. I love this part of the gospel of Mark because it says Jesus was filled with compassion. And the Greek word there, it, it's where we get our word for spleen or intestine. And so that there was this physiological, this gut-wrenching something in Jesus that led him to action, which is the next step of compassion. It just didn't stop at feeling, but biblical compassion always leads to action. Jesus reached out and he touched the leper. You see, biblical compassion leads to action. It's not, it's not just having pity. It's not just, oh, I feel sorry for those conditions of, of people who are suffering in my neighborhood, in my office, and in parts of the city around the world, but, but at least the action. And then fifthly, it's important to note here that Jesus was, was, was interested in, it, he, he was understanding that this man needed to be restored back to a productive member of, of the community. Because he said, go back to the temple, do what you need to do so that you'll be uh, restored back to a productive member uh, of society. This is, this is a model for us, seeing what's around us, Listening to what is around us, feeling, acting, involving that whole life transformation. I want to tell you about Treasure real quick. A young man who's one of those families that we met. Uh, he 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 had a uh, he's been a, had a horrific horrific life. I ask you to pray for him. 
He began drinking alcohol as a young boy, eight or nine years old, in refugee camps in Africa. And those of you who know and walk through the grips and the power of addiction know that it's, it's, it's hard to break. And Treasure was one of those first families of about eight in an apartment. Been in America about four years. And I met their family back in the beginning when we were, I was talking about we went to those apartments. They had no furniture. We helped them get furniture. And I lost touch with them. They moved. And just recently, um, their other siblings are actually involved with, your, with the ministry of Youth for Christ uh, that you guys partner with and support. And uh, that I found out later. And so I went over to their house because I wanted to see them and, 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 and went. And, and Treasure had uh, just gotten out of jail. He'd been serving about four years. And so I went over. If you put that photo up here, I don't know if you can see it. So... I went in, and he hugged me, and I hugged him because I'd seen him quite a bit before he went to jail and, uh, several years ago, and, and, he, and he told me his story. It was horrific. I don't have time to go into the details, and I noticed he had quite a bit of tattoos on him. I said, hey, man, I know you got some tats. And, he, and I didn't even ask to see him, but he just was so proud of him. He said, I want to show you, and he just took off his shirt right in front of me, and, and he had some, and actually, I have some tattoos. I was showing him. We're you know, throwing, comparing the tattoo stories. And he turned around, and he had this uh, uh, tattooed on the back. And I don't know exactly how that works in, in prison with ink or whatever, a pen or whatever. But you can see on there, it says forgotten. And you can see the, on there the, the, what represents the, 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 the cell. I began to ask him to explain that to me. And I said, I said, treasure, did you feel forgotten in jail? And he looked up to me and said, Mr. Joel, I, I did. I felt no one cared for me, and, and I looked and I responded to him, and I said, man, you know that Jesus did not forget you. Jesus did not forget you when you were in there, and he looked up with the biggest smile, and you know what he said? He said, Mr. Joel, that's all that got me through. That's all that got me through. Pray for treasure, and if you can relate to treasure's journey, come talk to me afterwards, because we need help with treasure and other guys like him. Secondly, I want to say that we are sent with God's power to be fully present. We are sent uh, with God's power to be fully present. You know, it's interesting in the story of the lepers, the story, Jesus did not catch leprosy. Did you notice that? The, the leper was healed. Jesus didn't catch leprosy, as leprosy is the most contagious disease in the world. And I think that's, that, that is, is such a, a great reminder as we desire to be present with people that we need God's power to do that. We need God's power to do that, to be fully present with people. You see, when we bring our anger to Jesus, Jesus doesn't become the angry Jesus. Amen? But, but he creates love for us. We catch what Jesus has. When we bring our impure thoughts to Jesus, Jesus gives us purity. When we bring our impatience to Jesus, Jesus gives us patience. That's how it works. And, 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 and this idea of God's power is the is the, is the key source of being present with those that we, uh, we, that we come around. See, the tendency is to do one of two things. The tendency is to turn away or to turn inward. Is to turn away or is to turn inward. And in and, and the, the great scripture of Ephesians, Paul gives us insight into this power, into the power of Jesus, the resurrection power. It's one of my favorite life verses. In Ephesians 1, 19, he just doesn't say it's power, but he says it's incredibly great power for us who believe. That power is the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. In that one verse in 19, what Paul does is he empties the Greek dictionary. 
He uses the four words in the biblical language that we get with power. The most common of those words is dunamis, which we get our English word dynamite, but it's not really an accurate understanding image of God's power. Remember when I was a kid, there were some guys that would come to our school and our youth group, and they would break, they would tear telephone books. Remember those guys? They would break things of ice, and, you know, and I had this image that was God's power, and I think it was good. They got, you know, attention, and it was an evangelistic outreach and that sort of thing, but God's power is, is not that. The, the idea of dunamis power, that most common word there in the Greek, is that it's this limitless power, this bottomless reservoir of accessibility of God's power. The other words of iskwas and kratos and energos are, are so beautiful to unpack. I don't have time for you today, but it's that power that can overcome anything that resists us. When we want to pull away, when we, we, we feel fearful, when we feel doubtful that we can make a difference, that's God's power that gives us that. Probably the best one there is energos that Paul uses throughout his epistles, and it's that word energy, that God gives us the divine energy for the Christian life. We don't do it by our own. It's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit uh, as it says in, in the scripture. Movement number three is that we are sent with honesty about our own powerlessness. We are sent with honesty about our own powerlessness. A familiar text Paul in 2 Corinthians, Paul says that he had a thorn in his flesh. But he said, Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. It's interesting in that text, as you probably read it before and heard it preached before, Paul wrote that 25 years after Damascus Road, after his conversion. And it wasn't on his first missionary journey, his second mission. It was on his third missionary journey that he said, I'm going to boast about my weakness. Not about all the successes I've had, but about the, be, be real about the struggles that I have. And if there's one thing that you hear today is that the greatest witness you can have leaving here in this week is that you can uh, be honest about your own powerlessness and the, the sufficiency of Jesus, how in your weakness that Christ has been your strength. You know, I often like to think that there's that great tension in the Christian life. If you think of it, you know, I like the metaphor of valleys and, 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 and mountains. You know, I just came through this valley, I just came through this mountain, and, and I understand that. But I like to think of it more as a, as a train track, where, where we live in this tension in, as followers of Jesus, where we have, uh, uh, you know, this this, this the hope of resurrection, hope of victory, hope of access to the power of God, and yet at the same time, we have uh, fear. We have real loss. We see injustice. We see violence around us. And, and it's, it's like this simultaneous track that we live in, this side of heaven. And we see that internally within us in our own journey. Paul wrote about that in Romans 7, did he not? But here's the thing. When we are real and honest about our struggle, when we are real and honest about how God has come through in this time of when we felt locked into the room, it opens doors for conversation. The greatest way and witness you can share is sharing how Christ has been sufficient for you in your weakness and struggle. Your story is never at the mercy of an argument. Henry Nouwen wrote a famous book about, he said, about a wounded healer. The idea is that through our wounds, through our woundedness of whether we cause those wounds or those wounds happen to us from circumstance of life, that we have this ability to, to understand Jesus' process of transforming us as he did those disciples. The last and final movement that I'm done here is we are sent with humility to all places of the world. The text was read earlier in Matthew 28. I'm going to ask the band to come, the worship team. And... 
wrapping this up and, and asking you to, to, to hear this final point. I was on a train in India uh, years ago, and, and I, I, was, I played a little guitar, and I'm not real good, but I was trying to hack out Leonard Skinner's Sweet Home Alabama and sing in, had some friends, and and then, and then that next, and then right after, I was, uh, I tried to, uh, I, Graham Kendrick's song, Shine, Jesus Shine, was singing. And I forget this, this cr- little crowd around, and this little, this man came up to me, and he spoke English, and you know what he said? He said, uh, what is Alabama? You know, what, he asked me about Alabama, so I explained Alabama. And then he said, uh, who is Jesus? Is he a singer from America? No idea. People in the trains of the world don't know Jesus, who he thinks is a singer from America. There's treasures in our city who feel forgotten. We are sent with humility to these places. And this morning, I want you to pause and reflect. Mother Teresa said, if I look at the masses, I will never act. You'll never act if you look at the masses. This is great wisdom. But Mother Teresa said, if I look at the one, I will. Who is the one that you need to look at? I want to ask you to close your eyes as we just, I want to lead you in a response. If you've heard these words, because you see, we're, we're all sent, and we all must embrace our sentness to the boardroom, to the yoga class, to the CrossFit gym, to the ball, baseball fields, to our cubicles. And I ask that if you are here today, and that you are saying, I want to be present, I want to be sent, you know, we had a, young, had a young girl actually the other day when we were out here in, the, in your neighborhood. We were driving by a, a really nice subdivision, and she I had to take her to the restroom. And she she's a Burmese raised in Thailand, and she she looked at me and said, "Mr. Joel, do these people in these nice houses talk to each other?" Let that question permeate your mind, your heart now. Do these people talk to, do you talk to your neighbors? Remember my grandmother used to make pound cakes for all of our neighbors when I was a little boy? We have 40 tomato plants that we're, we want to bless you with from our ministry back in the back. Take a tomato plant today and go bless a neighbor. Or you can keep it and watch it grow and pray for the ministry to refugees in this city. Those of you here and you say, hey, I, I, I want to be used by God. I don't know what that means. I don't know where that takes me. I don't know what that will mean exactly. But if you're that way this morning, I just want to invite you to stand. I just want to lead you in a little prayer. You're saying, I want to be used by God from what I've heard and from what God is speaking to me now. Would you just stand? We're going to just conclude our worship with a song. Some of you here, you may need to do business with Jesus, and you, you're, you're wrestling, and something in your gut and your heart is like, man, something's not right. I don't even know where I am with God. If you're there that day, I just, want, I just want you to say this. I just want to say, Jesus, I give you my life. Say that. Jesus, I give you my life. And, 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 and there's a lot more you probably need to say to Jesus, but he hears you. He's not tired of you coming to him. Those of you that are standing, and you're saying, I, I, you know, you may be like Isaiah. Here am I. I'm ready to go. I'm signed up. Or you may be like Moses and Jeremiah. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of young. I can't speak well. I can't seem to be organized. That's, that's fine. God still used those guys, and we're talking about them today. They're written all through the scriptures. Think about that. 
God took those young teenagers in that room that day, transformed them. They, they, every day they, they, they experienced Jesus' presence, his voice, revealing him and sending him, and, and, and they changed the world, and we're here because of it. So if you're standing today, just pray this with me as we move into worship. Say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life, my future, my talents, my money, my family. Let me step into places that I've never stepped in. Let me love people I've never loved. Let me be used for your glory, for the sake of the nations that that will be around your throne from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. And Lord, I pray that for the church of Jesus here in this local expression that you would bless and guide and move in powerful ways in the days ahead. We know you hear our prayer. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.